camera experiences of everyday harassment. Photographer Eliza Hatch retelling stories on film in the hope of giving women the courage to speak out. We tried to put his hand under my shorts. The conductor tapped my ass. And they kept him following me. His hand was going up my skirt and I, my body somehow froze. You know, no one intervened. Cheer up love, a phrase sometimes shouted at women on the street. They're photographed in places where harassment has happened. Cat calling to curb crawling. This campaign covers it all. Hello and welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Cheer Up Love podcast with me, your host, Eliza Hatch. Can you believe it? It is the last episode of season three. Today I'm speaking to a truly inspirational person whose work I've been admiring on my feed for years now. It's the model, activist, entrepreneur and all-round superstar Kenny Ethan-Jones. Kenny's activism touches on mental health, politics, intimacy and notably menstruation, which is how I first discovered his work both offline and online. Kenny has paved the way for having frank, honest and open conversations around menstruation as a trans man. His career in activism was launched after appearing in Pink Parcel's I'm On campaign, in which he made history by being the first trans man to front a period campaign. Kenny's impactful work has been featured by The Independent, Teen Vogue, the BBC, Dazed and many more. I can't wait to share this episode with you, so join me now to listen to our conversation. And just to trigger warn, we will be reading out a story of sexual harassment later in the show, which references transphobia. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. It's an honour and a privilege. How are you doing? I'm okay today. Not the best that I've been. Um, I'm starting to feel a little bit sickly. And so I'm just like very aware that like, I don't know because everything's obviously lifted and I got excited and went to the gym and got a haircut. Mm. So I'm like, I hope I don't have COVID, but we'll see. But I feel okay. I'm just like, yeah, I think my brain is just kind of like thinking of the worst. Yeah, I know what you mean. I organised socially distanced shoot yesterday and I completely forgot yeah. that it was Monday the 12th thing where everything opens. And so I was like, oh yeah, we'll meet at <laughs> Shepherd's Bush, just completely forgetting about... That's a crowded area. And anyway, so I like got the, off the tube and I was just like, oh my God, I've picked Westfield. <laughs> I've literally... Yes, you I've literally, literally picked, picked Westfield. Westfield to do a photo shoot in. What the fuck is going on? Oh my god! So that was a terrible, terrible idea, okay. and I almost had like a sort of panic attack from how many people were there. It was um, yeah, it was yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. The whole thing is not a lot. used to it. No, yeah, no. I think it's going to take everyone a while to get back to normal and just get back to being used to being around people and like doing yeah. everyday things. I totally agree. Hundred percent. But yeah, the past year has been a particularly heavy one for a lot of reasons. And pandemic aside, it's just been full on. Mm. How have you been coping and just looking after yourself generally? I kind of just like tried to shut off and ignore it all. That's probably not the best thing. But I think mm. weirdly, as an advocate, the best boundary that I have is I don't pay attention to the news too much. Like obviously I like to keep up to date, but like mm. most of my friends, you know, kind of know what's going on. So we can have a conversation in which, you know, they can kind of push away the trauma of the conversation and just tell me what's going on, so to speak. So that's been like a good way for me to stay up to date, but not necessarily like go through all the headlines. And I feel it, but I, I feel like when it comes to my friends, they just, they know how to deliver it better. So that's nice. Yeah. And I do this like weird kind of like mid meditation situation where I basically just lie down and do nothing for three hours um, and just kind of like really sit with how I feel, um, like focus on my, how my body's feeling. Am I tired? Am I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But those things have really helped. I don't want to get too caught on about what I do because I think anybody listening, I think it's more important about what makes you feel the most recharged. And so that's just that for me and like playing with my little doggy. Megan's always like lovely to have around and just have conversations and just kind of work things through. And then I also have therapy. So mm. many different things that kind of help me keep 
you know, above water. And then when I've had enough, I just say, Do you know what, I need to admit that um, and, and sit, sit out for a while. That might mean taking an extra few days off or detaching myself from certain types of work. But yeah, I just, I think it's important to just really listen. Most importantly, just listen to what's going on yeah. within yourself because when I don't and I burn out, I feel so much worse. Yeah, I think there's something really key to be said about just listening to your body and just asking it what it needs and responding to that in the moment. I think for so long, we've just sort of been going on and suppressing things and just powering yeah. through. And there's this whole mentality of just to be successful, yeah. just constantly be doing stuff and constantly be... Basically burnt out. <laughs> yeah, basically just being totally burned out. And then for me, I always get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm really at rock bottom now. Yeah. How did I get here? I'm, I'm so stressed but i feel like you're always chasing the next goalpost. yeah yeah it can lead to burnout and that's the culture though isn't it and it's like that's kind of what we've been taught that's the way that you become successful but i'll tell you this for facts like whenever i've burnt myself out i'm not producing my work at my like my greatest capacity and so actually i end up being a lot less proud of my work um and i don't necessarily want to share it as much and i just don't like my self-confidence is affected so actually kind of rejecting things when I know that I should take a break mm. is probably for the better good of my career as well, as well as my mental health. And so I think that's important to kind of like, yeah, to hold on to because yeah, you can do all the work in the world, but if you're burnt out, it's not going to be of quality. Like it's just not going to be like, you can't, we're not robots. Like, let's not forget that. <laughs> so all you can do is show up when you can and know when to sit down. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just what you've got to do. Yeah, that's so true. You only really create your best work when you're in the best place and you're really not going to be producing anything great if you're just feeling miserable and just at your wits end about everything. Yeah. But on that note, I think the work that you do is incredible and especially the work that you do to raise awareness about how menstruation affects trans men. It's just so important and eye-opening. And before your campaign with Pink Parcel, I hadn't seen or heard the conversation happening anywhere in the mainstream whatsoever. Mm. So what were some of the leading factors that inspired you to tell your story? And if any of our listeners are unfamiliar, could you give us a bit of background about you know, what you do and kind of how you got into this line of work? Okay, this is a wild story and very just like weird and coincidental. Mm. So essentially I traded stocks and currencies. That was a completely different world, like wasn't up in the media or anything like that. But I had signed to a modeling agency because I seen kind of modeling as a way to boost my self-esteem and confidence. Because I always just seen models as being confident people. So I was like, hey, if I become a model, I may become confident. And so I kind of like followed that for a bit and I was offered the campaign. Mm. Um, they turned around and was like, hey, you know, we want to, spread a positive message about periods and actually be inclusive of all people who bleed, which essentially they would prefer to like trans men and non-binary people. Mm. And I had to sit with it because I wasn't sure. Like you said, the conversation wasn't happening. And the number one thing that people try to target trans people is biology. Mm. And so I was like, if I take this step and kind of align us more with the female body, not that that's a bad thing, but in terms of what people will kind of make that sound like, am I doing the right thing for my community? So I had to really sit with that and be like, should I be doing this? I'm also like, how am I gonna protect my mental health in this kind of situation? Mm. Because periods for me were the most kind of traumatic thing that I had experienced. And so I wasn't, I wasn't completely sure. And I just, I sat with it and I had a conversation with my friend and she was like, Kenny, you're gonna do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was just like, you're gonna do it. Like it's so you to break barriers, to open up conversations. I'd always kind of been not an advocate, but I'd spoken to a lot of trans people um, who was, you know, in need of support or, you know, just want someone to talk to. And so I've always kind of like known how to have those conversations and how to kind of articulate myself. I just wasn't sure if I was ready for that. Anyways, my friend was right and I did it. <laughs> um, and it just, it, it blew up like bigger than like, I think anybody expected because there were campaigns that did happen, but they just weren't 
they weren't large enough to go mainstream, um, whether that be budget or just that people weren't ready for the conversation. But yeah, it, it blew up. It had like over 300 pieces of press. And that really what started my career as an advocate. Like that's how I kind of trickled over into how everybody knows me today. So yeah, wasn't wasn't planned. Just felt like it was the right thing to do to move the conversation forward. And I kind of found healing throughout that process because I had time to sit there and be like, actually, you know, I didn't, I think the biggest realization for me was that I didn't actually hate my period. I hated the way that society sees me having, sees me having a period. And so that was the biggest issue, but I found that out by just like speaking to people about it and just being on panels and having open discussions. That's amazing. And often the best things come about when you're least expecting them. And for something so incredible to kickstart your career to come out with something that you were so unsure about and so <laughs> nervous about, that's just, it's the best possible scenario. And I can totally, totally understand and see that the hesitation there and, you know, why you think, is this the right conversation to be having? Or, yeah. or should I be the one to be having it? And, you know, the conversation around menstruation and periods is taboo anyway, yeah. just in general. We've not really got there as a society and on like a, on a world level, yeah. like just not at all. You know, the conversation just for cis women has only just really started to be destigmatized. Yeah. There's still yeah. huge myths and uh, harmful stereotypes like periods are dirty and yes. all of this kind of stuff. So I can imagine that the barriers surrounding the issue were only amplified for trans men and just, I can't even imagine how you were feeling going into it and what kind of reaction you were anticipating. I don't know, like, honestly, I just thought this feels like the right thing to do, so I should do it. And I was prepared for any income, any outcome, sorry. So whether that be, you know, lots of people, you know, tearing me down or, you know, just I just prepared myself for anything because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, you know, I'm not a person who's in the media, so I don't even know what to expect. Mm. Um, but for the most part, it was very positive. And it got to a point where, you know, I had like lots of friends around me that was like, hey, don't read the bad comments. Like, you need to learn this. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of avoided that. But I think at the time, which was probably the most heartbreaking, was that a lot of trans men turned around and was upset that I took part in that campaign. Oh, really? For the same reason I said earlier around aligning ourselves more with, you know, the female body. Mm. and then kind of not working through that in themselves and and so I was upset that I hurt people from my community more so than anything else and like it wasn't a lot of people maybe only five in comparison to hundreds of other people that had sent me like positive comments I had girls I went to school with send me messages like I'm so proud of you but those were the ones that sticked mm. because you know I, I I never wanted that and it's funny because like a few of them have like messaged me in the future and they said you know what at the time I shouldn't have said that basically um, and I'm sorry because I can see that all you wanted was you know trans and non-binary people to be able to be a part of the conversation not that you have to because if you don't want to you shouldn't but actually it's about the door being open and for us being thought about when it comes to healthcare and all of those things I'm not saying that we have to speak about it as a trans man or you know a non-binary person but just think about us in that conversation and make sure that you're making space for us if we decide to be a part of that. Yeah, totally. And it's always those comments, the few comments that you get that are negative that really sort of stick with you and then really make you evaluate everything, even if you've received hundreds and thousands of messages of praise. Yeah. For some reason, our, our brains are wired to go and immediately focus on the negative. And it's a shame. I know. I wish, we, I wish it was the other way around because then you'd actually feel the impact of your work. Yeah. 
It doesn't work like that, unfortunately. It no. really doesn't. I suppose it, it makes it you want to strive to do better and not get complacent. And just yeah. if everyone was agreeing with what you were doing, then maybe you wouldn't be making yeah. progress. I'm not sure. I always kind of tell myself that when I get criticism <laughs> from certain things. I'm like, well, if people are still disagreeing with you, then you've, you've still got work to do. <laughs> no, you're right. I think, you know, you've, you've got to take the situation as it comes. And I think as long as, you know, you can say with your hand on your heart that, you know, I'm doing this for the right reasons you know, some, sometimes some people are not going to like that. Sometimes those people may be from your community, but that's the, that decision's on you to make. And when I look back now, three years ago, that campaign was, and I think back to, I think to what I've achieved today, I made the right decision. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I, you know, I, I kind of hold onto the praise within myself and say, no, actually that was the right thing to do, Kenny. And, and I'm proud of you for that. So yeah, the five negative comments stick, still do. But I'm very much like, look at the kind of conversations that we're having now. Look at the, all the other non-binary and trans people that are invited to this conversation. Look at the kind of resources that are available. And just like the, the conversations in terms of like trans men and non-binary people actually going out their way to advocate for this. It just, those numbers didn't exist before. It, it wasn't like that. So that in itself, not to say I'm the only person who's contributed to that because I'm not, but to feel a part of that community, I feel very proud. Yeah, and you should do, but it's a lot to take on. And I can imagine that it can get quite heavy in that space, having to advocate for yourself and for other marginalised people, both online and, and offline all the time. And especially in the current transphobic climate that we're living in, it just, I can imagine <laughs> it must get exhausting at times. It can, it can. But I don't know, something in me is just like, we're here to stay. Are we going to fight this? So, But I, I kind of know now when to, to back down from certain conversations and to step up in others. Um, and I think that's where I found my balance rather than trying to like counteract every bad thing that's said about trans people. Mm. So I, I think that's been a, a very important part of my journey. Yeah, totally. And I was about to say yeah. that one of the main things that I kind of blown away by how positive you seem to be. Well, I mean, that's what I see on social media and that is not always the case. I know with lots of people, everyone sort of puts out different things about what they want to protect online, but it does generally seem to be that you are just quite a genuinely yeah. positive person with all of the work that you do mm -hmm. and I was just wondering you know mm -hmm. how do you keep yourself so grounded and calm and protect your mental health when there's just so many negative conversations happening on socials and in the media such a big question I think the first thing I want to say is I'm quite moody if, <laughs> if I'm honest like not so much around people sometimes my close friends were like I haven't had time to recharge they see that side of me um but whenever I come to the conversations to, to push you know trans inclusivity forward I always make sure that I'm kind of, I'm charged enough to be able to portray positivity and be there and be mm. present as much as possible. So yeah, no, number one thing is I'm moody. But I think a big part of it is just like, like I said, kind of everything I was talking about earlier around knowing when to like step down from the conversations and take time to kind of like recharge. I think everybody does it differently, but I think in terms of how I stay positive, more so than anything is just thinking about what I want for the future. And, and, and what that future looks like. And that makes me smile. Mm. You know, the idea of trans people not having to face discrimination in, you know, not, not that it would ever happen in my lifetime, but all of that's eradicated. But certain things, especially around periods, you know, even when I look back three years ago and I think about the conversations now, that makes me happy. And so I just think about the long-term goals of, of things. And, you know, there's small conversations that I have with people online. Like I get a lot of DMs from mums of trans kids and they're like, I am so grateful for you. Like I showed my son you, he's so obsessed. Like he, he can see himself in you. He sees that he can have like mm. a successful life and be happy and have a wonderful girlfriend. And do you know what I mean? Those things are, are the things that make me go, 
nah, I got, I got to stay here. I got to keep doing this because it's just so lovely. Like, honestly, when parents message me or teachers, it's, I, honestly, I, I love it. There's nothing, that's, that's, that's when I feel like I feel proud and that's when I feel like I've made change because as much as this is obviously about changing laws and changing attitudes, essentially, I want to help my community. And so when I hear from my community or people who are parents, people in my community, I, I, yeah, I just, it's, it's so heartwarming. And yeah, it just makes me want to stay around because I'm like, you know, I want more kids to feel like they can be themselves. Although I'm, I mostly want it for trans people. I want it for everybody. I just want freedom of expression. Mm. However that looks like for you, whatever makes you feel comfortable as a human being, as long as you're not causing harm to others, you know, I, I want that for you. No, that is so heartwarming. And I think it is when you get that feedback and you get those responses from people and you actually feel like you are making a difference and you are actually connecting with someone and you have that real life world connection, then it sort of, it really brings it all back down to earth and it makes you feel, oh, okay, so obviously the work I'm doing is important and it's being lauded in press and I've got all this coverage and that coverage. And, <laughs> but then you hear that real life story and you, and you kind of think, okay, well, actually, this is actually the reason, isn't it? This is actually, yeah. you know, why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes. When it comes down to it, it's all about human connection. When you boil it down to, to, to what we're doing here, that's what it's about. So as much as like you're saying, the praise, the press, all those things are great, the Instagram followers. Yeah, that's nice. That gives me leverage. And it makes me feel more accomplished because you know that's kind of how I measure my career at times, so to speak, or many different factors, but those things also. But no, when it comes down to it, you know, it's, it's those conversations that say, hey, Kenny, I'm so grateful for you. That, that makes me want to continue, so. Yeah, and I think we do have to remember what our markers for success really are because mm. so often I make these, or have these like arbitrary markers of what I think success is. And I know that they're not real because when, as soon as they come, they don't bring me happiness or they don't make me happy. So you'll be like, oh, if I get this amount of followers, then I will feel successful. Yeah. If I get this amount of press, then I'll feel successful. Or if I do this campaign with this person or whatever. I mean, <laughs> there's lots of different sort of goalposts that we set ourselves. And I think those are really important. And as you yeah. said, they, they give you leverage, but sometimes they don't give you the same sense of satisfaction, I suppose. No like way. job satisfaction. No <laughs> way. Like... <laughs> It's, especially when it comes to Instagram followers, because I, I feel like that's where, that's where we all kind of put our focus to. And like, mm. do you know what? Like, as much as my numbers get higher and higher, I don't feel anything for those numbers. I feel something for the change that I have because of those numbers. Like, that's always what it's going to be. But yeah, yeah you know, you, you have the right to be excited. But I think when you start to kind of say, I'm successful because I have this, rather than the actual change that you're making in people's lives, I think that's when you kind of have to stay, you have to step back. And, and there's times where, yeah. where I've got to that point, if I'm honest, where you get so caught up in that. And, and I'm grateful for the kind of friends that I have around me because they put me in check and they'd be like, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody cares. And, and it's funny because like lots of, I have like half of my friends who are like influencers or advocates in some way. And like half of my friends who just don't exist on social media, like have less than a hundred following and so it's, it's, it's really nice to have that balance because they always put me in check and let me know that there's a life outside of that. Oh yeah, you need that. It's so necessary. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you can just get too Honestly. caught up in it otherwise. And, and you yeah. think that every single person you're interacting with has 100K followers and that's really <laughs> yeah. just not the case whatsoever. And as soon as you do actually hang out with your yeah. mates who do something with a family member, I don't know, like anything kind of, that takes you outside of that yeah. bubble, it's, it's pretty grounding and, and pretty important, I think. 100%, like... That's honestly probably been like one of the great conversations that I enjoy having with my friends that don't have social media because like they won't, we won't speak about it for a while. And then like 
I have friends that literally just go on social media to check on me, make sure I'm okay. Really? But that's it. And so, like, they'll be like, Kenny, like, you're so close to 100K. And I'm just like, yeah, and they're like, but you're still Kenny, though. <laughs> so, like, let me let me just let you know that. And I'm just like, okay, like, I know. And I just think that kind of, those moments just always kind of, like, drag me back to reality um, because we yeah. can get caught up in those things. And, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to just be caught up in that world because, you know, the real change is made to individuals and it's hard to see people as numbers sometimes. And, you know, I think loads of people have their own battles to face with the social media. And there's many different problems that we could talk about. But I think just don't get caught up in everything. Um, and I'm saying that as somebody who, you know, has kind of moved from strength to strength on social media. Mm. You, you kind of get to a point where you realize, like, nobody cares, essentially. Like, that's, <laughs> um, so yeah, just, I just, I, I bear that in mind as, as much as possible. Yeah, it's definitely something that I've had to constantly ground myself, remind myself yeah. of sometimes, because you can just totally get caught up in it. And I think especially, yeah. I never really used to think about it or it didn't affect me so much. But during the pandemic, it's been mm. a bit more all-consuming, really, because everything has been done through your phone screen or yeah. your computer screen. And so your world has just sort of shrunk and your sort of social interactions, your work interactions have all been very limited to social media or just online stuff. So it feels... It's all that we've had. Yeah, Exactly. Really? So, but that's why I'm grateful for it in many moments. I'm grateful for the reach that I can have. Like if I were to put out, you know, something saying, hey, sign this petition, I, I would probably get a lot, like a thousand clicks on that. And so it's, it, it's, it's nice mm. to have that leverage. And, you know, I'm, there's many good things that have come from social media. But I think when you allow it to consume or kind of equal your worth, that's when, the, that's when it becomes an issue. But yeah, I don't want to talk. I, I'm, try, I'm trying not to speak too much about social media just because I don't want this to be, you know, the only conversation that we have. But yeah, it's one of those things where it's like these days, everything sort of goes like funnels through it. So yeah. it's like unavoidable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ways, honestly. I am looking forward to the time where we can do our work in the real world. Oh, more, like, <laughs> yes. Very much I can't wait. Do you know what I'm looking forward to? What? This is the number one thing I'm looking forward to. Go into a shoot and just arrive in. <laughs> and just being like you know cameras set up photographers there because trying to be doing all that stuff in my house listen I've had to learn many skills <laughs> during COVID and yeah. I'm not a hundred at them so yeah <laughs> I'm looking I can imagine doing your own podcast and trying to like navigate you know technical issues as well as just like making sure that the quality is good yeah and, it's, it's interesting yeah no I'm, I'm, I can't lie it's not for me it's not for me but I respect you for it. Thank you. There's been, I mean, everyone's <laughs> been teaching themselves all kinds of uh, tricks. And I mean, I'm just looking forward to actually like doing panel discussions yeah. again and just you yeah. know, being in a room with people and being able to do talks with people yeah. and see people's faces when you're actually giving a talk and stuff. Like I'm no. really looking forward to that because I found doing talks on, on Zoom just really alienating. Because yeah. I mean, you could be talking to 100 people, but then just <laughs> see like one person's face in the, in the corner of yeah. the screen or just your face in the corner of the screen. And you're like, am I? Yeah. What's everyone thinking? Are they watching me? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? That bothered me so much because I'd be like, I can kind of, you know, any good speaker can kind of like look at the audience and know when to kind of like mm. tailor off a conversation because the interest isn't there anymore. But I can't do that because I can't see anybody. So I'm just like, right. should I still talk? Like, is there any point right now? Or like, should I just move on? So that's been, that's been quite difficult. It's creepy. I think it's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I'm, I'm really ready for that to, yeah. to end. Okay. But Fair. anyway. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. There's something about being in a room full of people and 
you know, standing for the same things, it's very, it's very powerful. And you often kind of leave those spaces feeling inspired. And I think that's what, you know, I, I'm not feeling at the moment inspired. No, I think we all need to get a bit of that inspiration back. Yeah. So as well as advocating for mental health and menstruation, you do a lot of work around the topic of intimacy. Your videos are really refreshingly honest and it must be very empowering to speak so openly, but I'm sure there is an added layer of vulnerability that comes with it. What's the response been like from speaking sort of so authentically about your experiences? Um, honestly, in terms of intimacy, I've, I've never had a bad thing said to me. Weirdly enough, like not even like trolls coming over to my page and like commenting things, which is, yeah, really, really weird for me anyways. Mm. But um, no, it was, it was very much like, I think the reason why I made that video, and I know which video you're speaking of, was basically because I had so many people message me. I'd done a Q&A mm. and I said, hey, like, you know, let me know what you want to know if you want to ask me a question. And a lot of it was like, hey, my partner's trans. I want to make them feel comfortable. I don't know how to do that. And I was like, because obviously this, these people are, you know, most likely suffering with gender dysphoria. And, you know, you know, they just want to mm. they want to please their partner. But essentially, they're not letting them because of, you know, the kind of the gender dysphoria side of things. And so people are just asking me, hey, is there anything that I can do to, to help my partner? And I was like, I don't know if I have all the answers for that, but I can just tell you what made me feel comfortable and kind of, you know, where my sex life has gone and things that conversations that I had with people and boundaries that I put in place that kind of helped me feel more comfortable. Like mm. one of the weird things that I had said <laughs> on the video was that I like to keep my boxes around my ankle just because the idea that if I feel uncomfortable at any moment, I can just pull up my boxes and I'm covered. That felt very comfortable to me. And other little things like having conversations with people I think when you're trans, you end up naturally having a lot more conversations around boundaries just because it's, it, there's so much friction sometimes for, for some couples. And so, yeah, it was, it was all kind of, it was all really positive um, and people just kind of like grateful. I don't think I said a lot in that video, but like, I think that it's, it's not something that's discussed from a trans perspective because, you know, I think it's, it, it was very, for me personally, it was very hard to even get to a situation where, you know, I could allow somebody else to kind of like fully explore me and be comfortable mm. and, and I just want that for I want that for other trans people and so I was like you know what let me just talk about it and you know what? if someone takes something from it great and if it's just a funny video about me talking about my mini penis then great like which whichever wherever we end up I'm okay with that and so I kind of like my sister like messaged me and was just, just like oh my god like why <laughs> big sister kind of thing like taking the mick out of me but um that was, well, that's always going to be the reaction yeah yeah but you know, even she turned around, she's like, you know, I thought it was a really nice video. Aside from I shouldn't have listened to half of it. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I just, yeah, it was, it was really positive. You know, I had a lot of kind of people because obviously I answered very specific questions from people um, that follow me. And they were just like, like, thank you for choosing my question kind of thing. I've got a lot to take away now. Speak to my partner about. Because it's funny, I probably have a lot of interaction more from cisgender people than trans people. But they're all in support of trans people. And so... Also, yeah. I think the, one of the things that I've had to like kind of learn is you have to explain a lot more because, you know, you don't know what's in my mind. Mm. And, and so you have to be a bit more explanatory in those conversations. And I think that's something that I've got really good at um, over time. So, yeah, I think people took a lot away from that conversation. It was it was really good, you know, and, and I didn't really talk about any direct situation or relationship. And so it made it more comfortable for me because I would hate for an ex to be like, why are you talking about us? So, yeah, I think I made all the right choices for that video. And I was very honest um, and, and I found it really, really fun to record, actually. So, yeah, no, I, I, it was a good video. So kind of like on that note, are there any themes that are sort of off limits to you? I wouldn't say it's off limits. I just think it, it takes a larger discussion. That's anything to do with my partner, Megan. Like, 
because it's not just about me then. And she's also someone who's in the spotlight. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of, you know, not saying something that makes us feel uncomfortable or feeling like I'm relieving, I'm, I'm talking too much about our relationship in certain ways. And so we have conversations about that quite consistently. Um, and whenever we do something together, we kind of have a debrief mm. and be like, hey, is that okay? But even if she were to mistake, make a mistake, and I would hope she felt the same for me, she would know that it's not because I, you know, wanted to release too much information about our relationship, but rather, you know, if someone if someone's with a trans person, I just want them to find ways to make their partner feel comfortable. And, and Megan has been amazing at doing that for me. She's probably the person that I've felt the most comfortable with in my life. And so to achieve that as a person, and, you know, we were probably together about a year when that happened. It was really incredible. And so, yeah, like it's hard to kind of meet in the middle of saying, hey, I don't want to give way too much about our relationship, but actually I want cis, other cisgender people to be able to help their trans partners. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that's quite a balance to strike, isn't it? Between yeah. your, your yeah. private life and the interactions you have on social media. And also, I suppose, how much duty you think you have to share. It's an interesting one, I think, especially as those boundaries, I mean, it's very important to have boundaries, but the lines can get a bit blurred sometimes, can't they? I think it's... Especially yeah. if you're an activist and you're sort of putting yourself out there on the line. Yeah, and I think as well, like, whenever it kind of... You kind of go off off guard with the conversation and it's just like a Q&A situation and, and someone asks you something that takes you by surprise, you know, you want to give them an answer, but also you want to respect your relationship. Mm. That can be very difficult. Mm. And the only other thing I would say, aside from my relationship, is just like when I talk about family and stuff, how I talk about them, how much I give away about our relationship because yeah I just I just want to be sensitive and like it's it's different for me choosing to be in this in this type of work and be a public figure to making them a part of it you know mm. like I kind of have like strict rules about how my niece shows up on my Instagram page like I've only kind of I've put her in pictures in that group post in the past but like now I probably wouldn't do that just because like I'm, I'm always kind of afraid of you know what if she gets trolled you know, and, and she's a 15-year-old girl and that's just not fun. No. Like, I think, yeah, I think you start to, I personally have started to think a lot more basically about my close connections. And even like, you know, I used to post a lot about like just me going out with my friends and just kind of making, I wouldn't say reckless stories, <laughs> but I didn't care so much about filtering them out. Mm. And now I'm just like, no, do you know what? I want some for me because you give so much away to others. You have to kind of figure out what do you want to keep for yourself. And only you can strike that right balance and figure it out for yourself. But I think at some point it becomes important where you have to start. I started this career going, I would just tell everybody anything because <laughs> I, I thought that was the right approach. And it was for a long time. But I think, you know, the larger your, your status, so to speak, becomes and, you know, the, the more you're thinking, you start to think about your future in this space. And, you know, you, you just want to be proud of everything you put out and, and protect the people that you love and, you know, just just feel really balanced there and not like you've given away too much. So, but it's difficult and I don't think there's any right answer to that. I just think it's, it's you got to have to figure it out for yourself. Totally. And I think the longer you are working in this field or doing the work or just putting stuff out there, the kind of, mm. the more time you have to really reckon with and understand your relationship with your like online persona or the stuff that you, you talk about, how much you want to share or just yeah. all of this stuff, you kind of get like a better understanding of yourself and what you kind of need from that. People need to you know, understand that people grow and their level of understanding years ago to who they are today is, is going to be two different things. So th I think that's something to bear in mind. So a conversation that's been brought to light this year was sparked by the phrase people who have periods, which oddly seem to offend 
quite a few cis women, including mm. a very well-known author, J.K. Rowling. Mm. I noticed that you wrote a piece in response mm-hmm. to this. that mentioned <laughs> in the article that you were sort of low-key pressured to speak out and say something. And yeah. I'm sure it's something you felt passionate about speaking about anyway, but I'm just curious to know yeah. if you often experience people prodding you to speak about certain things or, or comment on every single transphobic tweet or news story. I think with that situation, it was very different. Mm. It was like, I was the perfect person to handle that situation, mm. to put this conversation to an end. And I, and I knew that. So I think subconsciously my head was like, Kenny, we're going to have to write about this. And so a lot of it wasn't even external pressure. It was more like internal pressure of like knowing that I'm probably, yeah. I'm educated to take on this, this kind of conversation. But no, there were like a few messages and stuff, but I think that was more like people just like so angry about the fact that she had even said that, that they just kind of sent it to me to kind of like vent, but didn't think about me thinking about how I would feel responsibility wise. So I don't, I don't blame people when it comes to that. And I think a lot of it, like, you know, it's just kind of like trying to keep me updated because I talk about periods, but I haven't said anything. So I guess people are thinking, have I just not seen it? Mm-hmm. I did, but I was just so angry that I was like, I can't write right now. Like I cannot write right now. This is not, this is not it. And then like, even when I did write it, I spelt like half of it wrong because I was so <laughs> angry when I wrote it. And I was like, Do you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to post it. I don't care if the spelling mistakes. Like usually like, I have people that check over my stuff because I know that's like a weak point of mine. And usually it will be a way that people try to say, oh, well, you know, if you can't spell, then don't talk kind of thing. And so, but I was just so angry. I was like, do you know what? Fuck it. I don't even care. Mm. Do you know what? If I get cancelled for the fact that I can't spell, then these people are ableist. So whatever. So I just kind of like, yeah, yeah, kind of, I wrote a few tweets back, which, you know, got got a lot of attention and people was like, basically, you know, Kenny's right. Um, and then I wrote like a full kind of written piece that kind of when I had calmed down and had time to really sit with how I felt. Because what I found was that when I was writing, I was becoming very angry. And actually what I was doing was acting in a, in a mannerism in a way that was not me. I was being very sarky and, and trying to say bad things about JK Rowling. And that's not where I wanted to come from. I wanted to come from a place of she has said something that's incorrect and is harming a community rather than me taking this as a personal vendetta. Yeah. But it's hard, you know, our emotions take over sometimes and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not free of that, you know, I exist in that too. So yeah, I had to sit back and be like, let me just chill. Even to the point where actually Megan helped a lot with one of the pieces that I wrote because I was really struggling. Like I had written everything down, but just like couldn't put it together. And she seen how stressed I was getting and was like, would you like some help? Mm. um and I was like yes please like my brain is melting please and so yeah you know I'm, I'm lucky I have such a supportive partner to help in those situations but yeah I, I don't necessarily feel pressure to talk about a lot of things and I think people know better now to not expect people to talk about things and rather just allow them to if they want to I feel like that's changed over the last year or so and so yeah apart from like that situation I don't think I've ever felt extremely mm. pressured to um to discuss something unless it feels very immediate it's a strange thing when these news stories break and then you, you feel this rush of yeah. endorphins or emotion or i don't know what it is but you, it's a sort of rush where you're like i've got to say something <laughs> i've got to say something i don't know what i'm going to say but i just feel like yeah. i have to sort of say something and then as you said terrible spelling <laughs> the whole lot just truly truly yeah. dreadful and then you know you can sort of come back to it a few hours later and look at it and be like yeah okay right so now I can actually think about spelling (laughs) and you put how you actually feel into words but sometimes you do just need to kind of word vomit and just get everything out there because you really need to just act on your raw emotions that you're kind of feeling in the moment 100 percent. 
so this is the part of the show where we read out our submitted story of sexual harassment sent in by a member of the cheer up love community to discuss and myth bust and this story was sent in anonymously i was on my way to work when out of nowhere a group of teenage lads entered my personal space without their masks on properly one of them then boldly asked me have you got a quid taken aback annoyed and without time to think i asked what are you doing As soon as I spoke, the contradiction between the way that I look and the sound of my voice caused their transphobic harassment to unravel. Are you a boy or a girl? He and his friends asked over and over. I eventually replied neither, to which one of the boys said, so you're an alien. I was met with intrusive questions and inappropriate scrutiny about my gender. Eventually we went our separate ways, where I then made it to work and cried for the first 20 minutes of my shift. This was my first proper experience of this kind of harassment and it woke me up to the harassment that many people in my community faced to a far worse degree. So thank you so much for sending this story in. It's just... Yeah, I'm so sorry that this person had to experience that also. I just want to add that, like, you didn't deserve that at all. I think that's important for you to know. Totally. And I think it's also a really important kind of issue to discuss because we really need to take an intersectional approach, you know, when we're talking about safety on the streets and Mm. and to do with public sexual harassment. And this kind of interaction, it it probably is quite a throwaway to a lot of people. They probably didn't understand the the level of impact that their actions can have and the sort of impact that can have on someone's identity, gender dysphoria, like everything. Like, those situations are just... Do you know what the thing is? It's hard to talk about this in context because I don't know enough about this person and the way that they display. But the way that I I, I don't want to talk too much about this person because I don't know who they are. But if we were to talk about street harassment, it's it's mostly against those who present feminine. It's not just a female issue, so to speak. And it comes down to, you know, especially with the abuse of trans people, it, it comes down to gender stereotypes. And what, you know, like that person said, the conflict of my voice and my appearance essentially is what caused the strike of transphobia. And yeah, I just, I, I think people just need to unpack. That's, that's the biggest problem here because this person has done nothing wrong. They've literally gone on, you know, with their day and, and someone's intruded their personal space mm-hmm. and they've tried to be like, hey, that's, that's not okay. Um, and, and then have suddenly made it about the fact that they're trans um, rather than the actual issue at hand. Yeah, and also like no one owes you their gender identity and especially not a stranger in the street. That shouldn't have even have been a part of the conversation you know but but it i don't it's it's hard in those situations to actually like go into depth but it's just like yeah that situation shouldn't have happened that person has no entitlement to know you know that person's gender identity genitalia so to speak whatever like it's not i know it's like why do people think they're so entitled that comes down to the idea that like honestly if you were to ask me that cis people are you know are entitled to trans bodies we are seen as you know more questionable so to speak and so people you know feel an entitlement to that and feel like it's okay to ask those questions but you would never walk up to this person and ask medical questions no. in this in the same way but it just goes to show that the lack of respect for transness you know and, and trans bodies aren't something to kind of be you can't ask those kind of questions it's just not it's about respect and that they don't owe it to you and also it's just not important like why do you need to know Unless you're in a situation where it's important for that person to know, like a doctor's office, um, or you know, possibly a sexual encounter, then cool. But aside from that, this like this is this is entitlement yeah. is is the larger part of the problem, and this respect towards trans bodies, which is mm-hmm. a larger issue. But yeah, it's it's always hard to kind of hear these stories because you know this individual didn't should not have been on the receiving end of that. They should have just listened to what they had said, but they made it all about them 
and their gender identity and it kind of not matching up for to what they believe that person should look like um, and sound like. No one owes you anything at all whatsoever in those circumstances. But these kind of comments and interactions can have a really seriously damaging effect and lasting effect on people's mental health. And it just, I think we really need to just show that it's an issue that happens to absolutely everyone, yeah. but also affects the most marginalised people in society the worst. It's such like, I, I always kind of get asked these, these questions along the lines of like, how do we stop harassment of trans people? essentially, and those who exist in marginalised genders. And we're not the problem. Mm. I, I can't make it any more clearer than that. It's like, you need to check yourself in terms of, you know, usually what happens is when somebody, a cis person meets somebody who kind of, you know, is more ambiguous in their gender, cis people automatically feel like they, they must know. Like they must know. Like, we're so obsessed with genitalia and gender identity. And it's like, you need to unpack that. That's a problem that you have. Not that we have, and don't push that across on trans yeah. people. Like that conversation didn't need to be that. That conversation should not have been that. But it but it happens, and it happens so often. Um, and it, it's it's hard, especially given the situation. It sounds like this is this person's first kind of experience of you know transphobia that black and white. And I you know I just it's it's hard. I feel I feel bad. I feel like you know I want I want to do something about that. I want to hug that person. Mm. and just say hey like you didn't deserve that and like just as you said the issue of violence against women and girls violence against marginalized genders these things are not the issue for the victim they're the issue for the perpetrator and it's like we just need to flip that switch and flip the narrative so that it's focused on cis male violence for instance that's it isn't it it's the way like even when we're talking about women's safety and the way that like the headlines are are worded as if to say women are the problem mm. When, when it's not and like it, and, and exactly what you're saying it's like we need to flip that that language and actually put responsibility on the aggressor rather than the person who you know is on the receiving side of that and it, and it's the, it's the same for transphobia and, and and a lot of it you know for me i've always kind of transphobia is very embedded in sexism so it's like when that's why we're seeing kind of similar issues especially mm. when we're talking about just feminine presenting people and street harassment it's all interlinked. It's all interlinked. It, it, it all needs to kind of be dismantled and, and looked at. And like you're saying, it needs to be looked at as an, in an intersectional way of saying, hey, you know, let's not just, obviously, like, women being violently approached or, or you know, sexual harassment, all those things needs to be looked at. But actually, let's look at feminine presenting people also. Yeah, exactly. When it's an issue that's affecting everybody, you just have to look, okay, well, if this is affecting everyone, then surely the quite common denominator here is actually the, per like, <laughs> the yeah. perpetrator or the... Like, here we go. There's the answer. Yeah. Like, let's deal with it's like, that. how do yeah, we solve no. this issue, this, like, issue that's happening to loads of people? We just, we don't know what's causing it. And it's like, well, we do know what's causing it. So that might be a better focus. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, thank you so much for sending in that story. And I think it's a really, really important story to discuss and an issue to bring light to so thank you again so much but also kenny thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you so much for your insight That's and your okay. time and for bearing with the technical difficulties i really appreciate it <laughs> no, that's not on you that's not on you that's more me so no don't worry about it and, and, and thank you i've really yeah i've really enjoyed the conversation um yeah and i just think yeah everything that we've, we've spoken about is has been very candid i love those discussions me too yeah thank you for having yeah, me yeah no of course thank you so much for coming on but what are you looking forward to most this year and do you have anything exciting coming up that you're working on at the moment or yeah anything you want to shout out 
What I'm looking forward to most this year? Probably a holiday. I feel like that's probably the same for everybody. <laughs> like, honestly, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'll go to Bath. Like, I don't even care if it's not a big holiday. I just want a little something, a little sunlight, <laughs> and I'll be so happy. A different environment. So yeah, like yeah, a holiday would be nice. In terms of what I'm up to, I'm always up to mischief. You know, I'm always looking for the. I'm always looking for the next thing. You know, I've, I've, I've spoken about it a few times. You know, I'm in the process of trying to write a book. It's taken me a lot longer than I thought because there's a lot to unpack before it's fully ready. But that should be something that comes out, hopefully within the next year or so. Um, but we'll see. But I've got a bigger project that will be out at the end of this year that I I think is going to be game changing, and it's definitely my field. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big one. But I think people are just going to have to wait and see for that one because I don't want to. Yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, do you know what I mean? No, not too much. Don't give it too much. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, definitely like just if you want to stay up to date with me and everything I'm doing, you can catch me on at Kenny Ethan Jones on Instagram. That's like my main platform. If you're looking for more resources, like that's a good place. And like I share lots of different trans people as well there. And yeah, just yeah, I think that's the best place to start. And also just like support trans people. That's that's it. Like I'm not gonna give you the list of names, but um, you know, if you come onto my page, you, you will find many, um, many beautiful and very articulate and just wonderful different experiences to mine. And you know, I think the trans community is 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 so beautiful in a way that it's just this like massive spectrum of different understanding not even understandings of gender but ways in which we express gender differently and I think that's that's what's so beautiful mm. about the community and yeah so don't just look at me look at everybody else and you know just just learn educate be open-minded be conscious of the language you come into when you interact with us and yeah that's it like I hope you enjoy your evening <laughs> I love that that's amazing thank you so much for saying that and I will definitely like link to you and your work and your socials and everything in the show notes have a lovely evening and thank you so much again for your time no worries take care thank you so much for listening to this episode of the cheer up love podcast and a special thanks to my guests for coming on and to the members of the cheer up love community for sending in your stories if you would like to submit your story to the podcast then just dm us on instagram or submit via our website if you like what you've been listening to please subscribe and leave a review it would mean a lot and also lastly an extra special thank you to alex grews who composed the wonderful music that you've been listening to